0: of uh, Lame Alef, Statistical Probability of In Tomah We have in this uh, Gemara reference to the idea of Rov and I want to spend the Shur this morning on uh, going into that idea because we're touching here, firstly it's an idea that we're going to have throughout Shas and it's so foundational to, to everything. Uh, I mentioned in yesterday's shoe, which we didn't have face-to-face, thankfully Rabbi Horowitz was able to step in, I was Totally, exhausted also after five shirim on Shabbos HaGodal, so I just couldn't give one on yesterday morning, and, and he stepped in. Um, but I did put it on, on, the, um, on the podcast, so the shir is available there. And we started dealing with this idea of, of making assumptions. And we talked about the Tosfas on Daflamit Hamud with that you can make assumptions about the present, you can't really make assumptions about the future. Uh, and, the, and the difference between that, that subtle difference between making assumptions about the present and the future. And the idea that I've mentioned many times before is that halacha is the the mechanism by which to live with certainty in a world of uncertainty. That's the art. That's the art of living. The world is uncertain. You know nothing about what's going to happen in one minute's time. And uh, and we've seen that. We've seen that in the last few weeks. We've seen that in the last few months. We've seen that in the last few years. It, it, there's, there's no... Ability to genuine, to really predict what the, what the future holds, um, and yet you've got to live. You've got to make. You've got to live as if you do know. You've got to. How do you do that? How do you live with certainty when the fact is, the truth is, it's total. There's, there's total uncertainty. Um, uh, how do you plan? How do you organize your day? How do you plan for the future? So we have mechanisms in halacha, and some of those mechanisms are arov and chazaka. So, so the, the area of sophic the area of doubt, is fundamental to halakha, because everything about halakha is around living with those doubts. There's nothing we know for certain. So, um, the, the, so when you do have doubt, two of the mechanisms we use, one is chazakai, the status quo, for example, and the other is rov. You, you rely on the general situation. You rely on the, on the majority of, of, of situations, and that's what we're going to look at today. What does that mean? Why should you rely on a majority? Where do you rely on a on majority? Uh, but rovin chazaka is what enables us not to become fundamentalist. And, and I've always said, when a person's becoming religious, when a person's becoming from those are the first things to learn. And it's not. With people teach first about Shabbat and about kashrus and about making brochas and about davening. The first thing to learn are the sugyot of rovin chazaka, um, Because it's that managing the uncertainty that drives a lot of people who are becoming religious crazy. How do you know that the piece of lettuce that you're going to eat is, doesn't have a bug on it? So you've checked it, and you're sure you've checked that there's no, there's no possibility? Maybe it does have a bug. It makes people crazy. Everything that we do, there's always a, there's always a sophic. How do you know that the glass of milk that you're drinking doesn't come from a cow, which when it's slaughtered will turn out to have been trafe at the time it produced the milk which you drank yesterday? How do you know? You can, uh, you can drive yourself completely crazy with these things that are very serious, and we have no way of knowing them. So you can't live without Rav and chazakha, and that's why the first thing to learn, as soon as a person has the intellectual capability of learning, and that's how it is in the yeshivot. That's why in the yeshivot we learn Nashim and Ezekim, because that's where you learn the principles of, of Rav and chazakha, and you can navigate your way through life like a normal human being without becoming insane. Uh, And the Gemara touches on on Rov in in this case. Again, we're still busy with the posse of Uvein Ein Loy. A Yibum only works if he doesn't have a a son. So now we're creating, It doesn't have a child. Now we're creating scenarios where we're not sure whether he has a child or not. And where we have to make some assumptions. Uh, And that was yesterday's and today's. Uh, in our Gemara today, on Davlamet Vov, Amodalaf, Omanach HaResh Lokish, Resh Lokish says, HaKiktani, he rewords a and he says, yevam a man does Yibum. It emerges after he did Yibum that she was pregnant with her, husband, her brother's baby at the time that he did Yibum. What now? Questions about him, questions about her, and questions about the Tzara. So can the co-wife be the the Sarah the Is she now free? Well, he did yibum. Yes, but he did yibum on somebody who might have a child. In which case, they didn't didn't need to be yibum. In fact, they wasn't allowed to be yibum. So, so at this stage, before the child is born, we're in this 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 mid period, this this suspense, and the Sarah should not get married. Shema have yehavlad barkeima, because maybe this child will not survive. In which case. What? What then? The Muberet lo shma bia. And according to Resh Lakish, again going to yesterday, which you would have to refer back to, but the idea there is according to Resh Lakish, if at the time of the of the yibum or the chalitza, he couldn't have known that the fetus is a viable fetus. Then the chalitza is no chalitza and the yibum is no yibum, even though ultimately it turns out that retrospectively it was. It's one of these strange cases, but uh, that was yesterday's. Um, but, but that's how Resh Lakish would work it. V'im helech nashim. And this is like a fundamental question on Resh Lakish. Okay, but then let's use rov. So what happened? He did yibum. She turns out to have been pregnant. But most in most cases, pregnancies go full term. That's that's the majority of cases. So why not assume the majority? And let's assume that she's um, uh, that everything's good and let and let the tsarai get married. nashim, Vlad yelada answers the Gemara. Vlad En Potel adshi Yetzela Avira Olam. This is a principle of Rova. Uh, Rova says, no, the the permission, uh, the permission to marry the brother-in-law, to, the permission to marry the sister-in-law. Only applies when the, f- the fetus emerges into the world as a baby. Until that time, there is no heter. So you can't work with assumptions and predictions, and if it goes okay that that doesn't work here. In this case, until there's a physical birth, according to Rabbi Yochanan's different. Rabbi Yochanan says you just have to know, and if there are mechanisms by which to know, that's sufficient. Shlokish holds no. There's, it's until the baby's actually born. There is no heter, there's no permission for the uh, brother to marry the widow of the deceased brother. <laughs> so let's just have a look at this idea of, of where does it come from and how does it work? The source of it is in Gomorrah, in Chulin, in Dafyadal, we're going to get to there in many in, in a few years' time. Where does this come from that you can follow a majority? What, what kind of thing is that? You, why, shouldn't it, you should be 100% certain. How, where do you say if you're 51% certain it's it's okay? Uh, which is, again, so important to live a normal life in an uncertain world. Menallon. I'll say, where is it from? How does a best in work? You don't have to have unanimity on a based in You're allowed to have a majority. 20, 23 judges, 12 say one thing, 11 say another. We go by the 12. That's in the Torah. I know that. Here we get introduced to two... Types of rov that we're going to talk about this morning and that are throughout Shas. Ruba de Itakaman, the one is called Ruba de Itakaman, a rov that is in front of us. Such as, you've got 23 judges, you can see all 23. They vote, you can see how everybody votes, you can count them up, and there's a majority that votes in a certain way you go. By the majority, that's called a Ruba de Itakaman. Or, kigon Tet, Chanayot, Sanhedrin, another case is nine shops, so they're and then there are nine stores in, in Ryanana Nana that are, are kosher, and there's one that isn't kosher, and you find, a, and you find meat in the street. It's, it's clean, nobody's touched it, it's all packaged, but there's no label on what shop it came from. So there's a chance it came from the tray for shop, but you're allowed to eat the meat. That's the role Kikam Kikamabayaland ruba de letter kaman. What I'm asking from is where do you get the case of a ruba de letter kaman, a statistical majority, not a not a, a an actual majority in front of us, and where you can count up, but a, a statistical majority. Kagon katanu ktana. Minalan, Where does that come from? Katanu ktana, Rashi explains is a gemara in uh, is is a mishnah in Yevamos further on, and Dav We'll get there in a month or so. yabam katan shebali v'amakatanah. If a a yabam who's under thirteen, that does yibum with a girl who's under twelve, they can grow up together. They can they can live together, grow up together. We're not afraid that one of them will be found to be infertile, and then the yibum wasn't a good yibum, and now a man is a, a, a man is married with, to his sister-in-law. That's a problem. He's married to his his brother's wife. there's no mitzvah because she's infertile. infertile. Uh, But you can make an assumption. Most children are are not going to grow up infertile, either the boy or the the girl. And that's the case of a ruba deleta. You just say that's the statistical assumption is that everything's good. So those are the two the, the two rovs. There's a very classical piece of literature learning which is which is uh, is foundational. So um and this comes from the Telz school. So I um as you know my father learned in Telz, my Rosh Shiva was the Tamid of Ribshimishkop. We'll come to that in a moment, but the Telz school, Telz was founded by Reblazer Gordon and Rablazer Gordon always brought very great Rosh Hashivas. He himself was building a community, he was building a yeshiva, he was raising funds, he wanted to make sure that in the yeshiva, there was a rosh yeshiva whose job was just to teach. And uh, the the first one he brought in was Reb Shimon Shkop. Later on, Reb Shimon Shkop had his own yeshiva in Grodna, Grodna, um, but he founded the Telza methodology, and he was succeeded by Reb Chaim Telza. Reb Chaim Telza was there until 1930, just before my father got to Telz. but Reb Chaim Telza's Torah was still very very much in vogue. Um, and they they created what was became known as the Derech HaHigayon, to learn Torah with, with an intellectual understanding, to intellectualize the, the halacha. Uh, and the um, uh, and Chaim, Rabbi Rab, Novitz, that Chaim tells her, continued in the way of Rab, Shimon Shkop. And this understanding that I'm going to give you, was you, you'll find both in Reb Shimon Shkop and in in Rubheim tellser Chaim tells we, what we've got are published Shirim according to the uh, the Gomorrah, particularly the, the three bhavas um, and Ribshiman Shkop we've got the Shire Yasha in addition to his khidushim on the on the we've got Shire yosha Shire Yosha was a huge work that he wrote on this area, Safek and Chazaka, how do you resolve that? how do you work with with that? He, his whole world view and his method of learning, everything he put into that sofa, uh the Shire Yosha, which was a favorite of Maharishi Shiba. That was an area of expertise of his. And in the Shire Yosha, in Shire Gimel, at the beginning of Shire Gimel, the, the Reb Shimon Shkop explains the difference between a the Ita Kaman and a the Leta Kaman. And, and he reasons through it and establishes that a Ruba the Ita Kaman, like the, like the judges on a Beit Din or the nine... Kosher shops is a situation where it does not explain, it does not determine reality. So you'll say, this piece of meat that we found in the street in Rai Nana, is it from the kosher shop? Answer? I don't know. May I eat it? Absolutely. But I'm not sure it's from, that it's from the kosher shop. Yeah, that's a rough. You can eat it. That, that's how Reb Shimon learns this. Really, the Sophic is still in doubt. It's still a 50-50. But we paskin that you can eat it. It's a psak. And imagine how, how good it would be for people to see that actually, to see a person pick up a piece of meat in the street and on the basis of the majority of the shops being kosher, it taking it home and cooking it. No and no anything. I don't know, there's some other technical problems, but that's, that's the case that it, that it talks about there. And that teaches you how to relax. It's okay. You need to know what the halacha is. You don't need to know the facts. That's, that's the essence of a Torah life. You need to know the halacha. You don't need to know the facts. And that's why it's more important to learn halacha, to learn Gomorrah, than it is to, to know the facts. The facts you, know, you need to know what's going on in the world. But, but you can't make your life decisions on the basis of facts because the, the truth is, we don't know the facts. But the thing is, halacha, in a situation where you don't know the facts, how do you paskan halacha? That's the way we, that's how we live. In other words, how do you act? That paskan halacha means act. How do you act in a situation of doubt? Couldn't you say further, the Torah actually determines what... Well, not, we'll see that exists. now. We'll see that now. So Rup Shiman is now not saying that. Rup Shiman is not yet saying that, but you, you're great. You will come there in a moment. He's just saying, you know for sure you can eat it. You do not know for sure that it came from a kosher shop. Ruben have a Ru- Ruben de Letta come on, but a statistical majority... That means the, the Torah says, you may assume that this is so. That glass of milk you're about to re- eat, drink, do you know for sure that the cow from which it came is kosher? No, but you know for sure that this is kosher milk. And there are subtle differences in, in the halacha between these two situations. Knowing for sure... The, the psak halakha, I don't know for sure that the meat is kosher, but I do know for sure I can eat it. And the case of the glass of milk, since the majority of cows in the world are kosher, I can assume that this will I, this, this milk is kosher. It's an assumption. The first case, it's a psak. The second case, it's an assumption. You may, you, you may eat this meat because the psak is that it's kosher. You may drink the milk because you're entitled to assume it's kosher. Two different things. Can you notice the subtle, the subtle difference? The halacha is it's kosher, or you may assume it's kosher. Two different things. Now, the um, I was very, very excited in the early hours of this morning because I remember learning this, Reb Shimon Shkop with Marushe and when I say learning with him, I'm talking about learning with him privately. Every Motzah Shabbos after Shabbos, I used to go down to the shul in Kfar Chassidim, which was empty and desolate. And he and I would meet there. We would start an hour after Shabbos, and we would learn until the early hours of the morning. Um, and the um, he, he would he would I remember him explaining this to me, and he got so excited. He used to his voice became so powerful. The the place echoed. I thought he was wake up. Would wake up the whole the whole village with, with his voice. He got so excited. I remember him holding onto my arm and explaining it to me as as he went through it. Um, and as I was thinking of it this morning, I discovered that because I started recording his shirim, they were originally not recorded. I started recording them because they were not understandable. And I explained to him they were not understandable, and I showed him. I said, explain to me what you're saying here. And he said, no, I meant the first day here, yeah, I forgot about it, so I put it down." I said, how's anybody's first? to know what you're talking about. Uh, and that's how we started learning Chavrusa, because I said to him, why don't you explain the shir to me before you give it? If I understand it, anybody will understand it. And, and he said, okay, that's how we started learning Chavrusa for many years. But the, but the important thing is I started recording the shiru. And those recordings were the basis of the publication. I, I, I have one of his for him that were published, but I just discovered that there was a one on Sanhedrin, which I don't have, which was published from those recordings. And in it, I found the piece where he explains this very piece of Rib Shimon Shkob, that we learned together in the, in the early hours of a Se Shabbos in the Shul in Chva And he says an amazing thing. He says that although, and so this is his me, he learned with Rib Shimon He says, although it seems therefore from Rib Shimon Shkob, that the statistical majority is a stronger one. Because what does Rebshiman say? The, the piece of meat on the street in Ryanana, we don't know if it's kosher or not. There's just a psack, you may eat it. The other you may assume is kosher, the glass of milk, because majority of cows in the world are kosher, you may assume it's kosher. Explains Rebelia Mishkovsky. But it comes out actually almost the reverse from Ribshimanshkov. What does that mean? Since the Torah says you may eat the piece of meat that you found in Raya with what degree of certainty can you eat it? 100%. Do you know it's kosher? No, not at all. But you know you can eat it with 100% certainty. What about the, the glass of milk? How much certainty are you that that glass of milk came from a kosher cow? You have no certainty. But you may assume that it is. So what he what he comes out with is that be, once the Torah tells you you this is the halacha, this is the p'sak, that is a higher level of certainty. So that's I'm sure that's what you were getting to. That the Torah is, is it's not saying that it turns it into kosher, but it it gives you absolute certainty that you may eat this piece of meat. There is no doubt. There's, there's no chumra to to say to you oh, yeah, yeah but but may, I won't eat it because maybe there's no maybe. It's hundred percent kosher. No, do you know the, where it came from? No, you don't know where it came from. But it is 100% kosher. On the case of the R- Ruba, the R- letter command, the situation of a statistical majority. Rabbi Meir, d- where, where possible, doesn't accept it. Rabbi Meir was very machmir in this area. And he, even if there was a st- statistical majority, he wouldn't rely on that. So there you see, in the case of a statistical majority, there is a place to be machmir. So I know there's a statistical majority, but what if this is from the minority? So you say, but the Torah says you can follow the majority. I say, thank you very much, but I don't want to. That, that would be okay, because with a statistical majority, you still don't know it for certainty. So it comes out, in a way, the, the opposite of the way it seems from Rib Shimon, as we've been saying the last few weeks, and we spoke about it on Shabbos, that in learning Torah, one of the things you learn is that nothing is what it seems to be initially. If you learn Rib Shimon on the surface, it seems the, the greatest certainty is with the statistical majority, no, says Rebelia Mishkovsky, the greatest certainty is when the Torah says, no matter where it comes from, you may eat it under these circumstances. That's 100%, there's no place for any chumras. When it's a statistical majority, the, Gemara says you're in, the Torah says, you are entitled to assume. And it's an assumption, it's not a certainty, it's not a halachic psak, it's an assumption which leads you to the conclusion, if I assume A, then I can eat it. That's correct. But in the first case, you're not assuming anything. You're being told by the Torah this piece of meat is 100% kosher.